Anything Combat with Johnny K. Well, it's Anything Combat, though. Welcome back, combatants, to the Anything Combat show, where we discuss everything mixed martial arts. I'm your host, Johnny K, and today we're joined by the pound-for-pound number one Italian private chef in the UFC. He studied at the University of Rome for pharmacy, and he studied a Master's of Science at the University of Milan. Please welcome the chef and scientist, Matteo Capodaglio. How are you, Matteo? Buonasera, buonasera, John, and everyone listening to the podcast. Um, I want to be honest. First thing, I don't like to define myself as a chef just because I have huge respect for people that do that for a living at a very high level. So I am a scientist. I define myself as a scientist, a man of science, which, you know, happens to be quite good in an amateur, at an amateur level, let's be clear, when cooking. So that's pretty much it. Not a chef. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. My girlfriend's from Naples, um, Campania. So have you ever been there? I have been there, yes. It, it is amazing, not just nice. Yeah, when I was studying for my farm D in Rome, I wasn't far. It was a couple of hours from Naples. So where are you from? I am from Padova, which is a city in the northeast, uh, adjacent to Venice, the the real one, not Venice Beach. So uh, I actually did this move. Like I was a few a few miles from from Venice back then, and now I'm a few miles from the other Venice, because now I live in Los Angeles. So it's been from Venice to Venice. When did you start making food and when did you realize it was a career option for you? Well, as I was saying, it's not really a career. Like I don't actually charge people when it comes to cooking. Uh, I'm just there. I I was always going to, to fight weeks. And uh, at one point, I think it was UFC New Jersey uh, when Colby Covington fought uh, Robbie Lawler, yes. So what what happens is I moved to uh, Southern California uh, in 2018, and um, at that time I only have one athlete, Marvin Vettori. At the time, it was not a big name. Um, so I get a referral to work with Lauren Murphy, uh, and she was. Um, you know, she she brought me for the first time uh, to 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 her fight week, and I remember her husband brought um, cooktops that you know you could easily uh, utilize even in the hotel room, and you know they asked me why don't you cook something, and I started. They happened to really like it, and then I said, you know, I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna do it, and I guess people are pleased by the the Italianness during during fight week. So. Again, it's more of a hobby uh, because what I do essentially, I tell people, uh, I talk about numbers, I'm a coach, you know, I um, help you in the process of cutting weight and then, you know, I happen to, to play with food. That's that's crazy, Matteo. I thought that you charged. You could charge for your services actually a lot of money. So why don't you? Because I believe in excellence and... Um, and I don't think, I think what I offer in terms of science is excellent. I couldn't say the same about cooking. Cooking is just, I mean, people like it. But again, I have a friend here in, in Los Angeles. He's Italian as well. He, he, he runs a restaurant. It's called Osteria Gucci. And he has uh, one Michelin star. I cannot compare the way I cook, of course, 
to to the way to the way he cooks. I also have another friend that's from Naples, from Napoli, uh, that now is um, on the other coast. Um, he works in the in the Hamptons for the summer, and is 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 a real a real chef. He used to run a restaurant in New York. Then he he just started to work as a private chef. It's much better than me. It's two different things. Like, um, yeah, I, I I don't think I don't think I should, and I wouldn't want people to hire me just to cook for them. So if someone comes, uh, reaches out and says, "Doctor Capo, can you cook for me?" I will decline. I will say, "Well, my job is a, I'm a scientist." Then if I'm there. I guess I can cook, but that's pretty much it. So my next question was about Marvin Vittori, and when you brought him up, I started laughing because it's on the list of the next question. The reason I want to ask you is when did you meet Marvin Vittori, and is he crazy? Okay, I'm gonna tell you a story that you're gonna love. So <laughs> probably 2012, 2011, I am in farm school. Uh, I I I guess I can. I can get away, I can uh, pass all my finals pretty easily, effortlessly. So I have a lot of free time. And I hear about this sport and I love it, MMA. I started writing in a forum, Italian forum, about MMA. At one point, the play-by-play -play announcer for the UFC in Italy reaches out to me, telling me that he loves how I write, of course, in Italian, because as you can hear, my English is pretty broken. Um, but it, it it's pretty good English though. It's pretty good English. I'm working on it. I'm not as, my vocabulary is not as flowery as it will be in Italian, but I'm working on it. Um, thank you, by the way. Um, he tells me, this guy tells me, I'm starting a newspaper. Would you like to cover local MMA events? And I say, yes. So, uh, he sends me to the first one. And of course I'm 23, 24. No one really cares about a 24-year-old guy, self-proclaimed, uh, say, journalist. Not even the right word, but... Uh, and guess what? At the time, no one at that first event cared about uh, maybe 18-year-old uh, Italian guy that moved to London. Well, guess what? These two people, they were not really getting a lot of attention. They happened to chat. And that's me talking to a 18, 19 year old Marvin Vittori. He wins his fight. You're after... joking. I reach out to him after that fight and I tell you, you know what? I think I can help you with this. At the time, the roles are not as, uh, how do you say, set in stone. Because I was like, we were not even pros in the end. We were just trying to figure it out this thing called sport. And. Uh... Yeah, and that's that's when he started, like about ten years ago. Uh, it was two and one, something like that, and uh, the rest is history. We came to California the first time together, and uh, yeah, uh, it was it was a hell of a journey, a lot of ups and downs, and uh, you know, here we are still after ten years. I was supposed to work as a pharmacist, I guess, for the rest of my life. That's where my family works. And that's where I thought I was gonna go for the rest, for you know, the first, I guess, 20, 23, 24 years of my life. Then I figured this thing out. I figured that I like the challenge. I like the idea of starting something new in America. And uh, one thing led to another, of course, this is a much uh, shorter version than what actually happened. And, you know, now I'm here in America, having a, you know, my, my Italian life in America, so.
not bad. And uh, to address the second part of your question, is what, what was that? Sorry, can you please repeat it? Because I don't want to miss. <laughs> is Marvin Vittori crazy? Um, well, I mean, you should define crazy. Uh, I guess it's, um, it's, a, it's a spicy, it has a spicy personality. Let's put it like this. Uh, pretty unfiltered, pretty unfiltered. Um, has it always been like that? As far as I can remember? Yes. People that I met, that I met, they come still to five weeks. Uh, people that saw him in the childhood, in his childhood, they told me that he used to be like that even in uh, elementary school. So Marvin has always been like that, I guess. Yes. What a wonderful story of how you two met. I want to ask you, seeing that you don't consider yourself a chef, you make wonderful food. You make nice food. So who inspired you to be a good maker of food, seeing that you don't want to be called a chef? Thank you. Um, I guess even though I didn't cook for uh, the biggest portion of my life, uh, I was surrounded by people that uh, delighted me with their dishes. My uncle first. Um, yeah, I will say my uncle really inspired me. Um, it, it was not a chef. It was a, it, it, he has a degree in philosophy. He used to work at a, a university, university library in my hometown. But he, he liked to cook and we loved it. And I could see how he could gather people using a dish, using a, a dinner, you know? And I thought that was fantastic. So that is definitely, um, that he was definitely a, an inspiration. Um, later I learned about Anthony Bourdain, which is a chef, by the way, is much, uh, much more skilled than what I am, but I, I like um, I, I liked him, and knowing that he was also uh, a jiu-jitsu practitioner inspired me to cook. But yeah, essentially, my uncle first, and then uh, yeah, Bourdain second, I would say. I've got a question for you, seeing that I'm Greek. What do you think about Greek food? Uh, I think all Mediterranean food is amazing. Um, I think that there are elements of the Mediterranean lifestyle there are a recipe for a long life and moreover i think that greek food is amazing greek history is amazing um probably i'm uh tasting an Ameri americanized version of greek food but there's a there's a spot here close to where i used to live it's called nick the greek that makes uh um gyros uh makes you know makes a bunch of other stuff and I, I i i profoundly enjoy that that food i need to say i'm not sweet talking uh if i didn't like it i will tell you so but i do love it so if you had to pick one between greek food and italian food what would you pick i'll pick italian because of course i'm i'm much more attached to it and also, I cannot say that I know the nuances of uh, Greek cuisine while I can say that about Italian. Um, so yeah, I'll go with what I what what I know what I know best, which is you know my 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 tradition. Talking about tradition, I want to ask you by about the Syria. Who is your team in the Syria? Okay, so I don't have a team right now. 
and there's a reason because I have a big I, I when I started this I had a big picture MMA is the way that I wanted to start but the more I'm moving forward with my career the more I want I think I can make a difference in other sports for that reason I don't think supporting a team is professional in my case just because say I tell you I'm a I'm a um, AC Milan fan and then tomorrow uh, someone from Inter Internazionale reaches out and he wants to work with me then it's, it's, it's not professional that until the day before I was rooting for Milan. Uh, that said, I'm from Padova, the city of Padova. Uh, and uh, when I was in first grade, Alessandro Del Piero uh, was... Uh, that, by the way, played in Australia as well uh, at the end of his career. Uh, he was playing for Padova. So a big chunk of kids from that years, that those couple of years... Um, you know, was rooting for Padova first, which ended up in the third division. Uh, so, you know, was not really performing in Serie A. But then Del Piero was bought by Juventus. So a lot of kids from my, my hometown are Juventus fan. I used to be a Juventus fan. Now I just, uh, I'm just impartial. I just uh, enjoy some good, uh, good football. Not soccer, football. Uh, that's what I enjoy, <laughs> football. Uh, and uh, by the way, uh, two days ago, actually, today is July 11. Two days ago was the 17th anniversary of our World Cup. And uh, I don't know if you noticed, but I posted about it. Um, just is a you know friendly reminder to, to everyone that for one day we were at the top of the world. 2006, still remember. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah. I want to ask you about a fan favorite fighter of mine, an Armenian fighter. I want to ask you about Armand Sayukian. What's it like working with him? Is he a nice guy? It was it was here for lunch, actually, today. He came for lunch. <laughs> yeah. Um, amazing guy. Um, this, I was talking to my videographer about that. Uh, as a fan, so 10, 15 years ago, I like fighters, they were very loud, you know, very big trash talkers at times, uh, which I don't mind if you do it to promote the fights. But then when I started to work with athletes, I rather work with people that are a little more composed, collected, um, and, you know, not always a person that's loud with the media. It's also uh, like that in private life. But some people are, let's say. Arman is very is very collected with the media. is very collected in his uh, work life. So I do enjoy working with him. Um, I do believe he has tremendous talent that he's cultivating, and um, I think he is definitely a candidate to be a 155 pound champion sooner than later. Uh, there's definitely um, some characteristic of the game to hone still, but he's putting in the work. And uh, tremendous athlete, um, great person, uh, good communication, which is, which is fundamental uh, when you work that close to an athlete. Um, strong, strong work ethic. And 
this is something not a lot of people, not a lot of athletes can say about themselves. 365 days a year athlete. So even when he's off camp, he's doing something. Maybe low level, maybe recovery, maybe yoga, maybe Pilates, but he's doing something. He's never, never really out of shape. So what can I say? It's, you know, a plus on my professional life, to my professional life. An absolute professional. That first fight with Islam Makachev and Armin Sayukin was a very contested bout. It was a close match. Islam, of course, got the nod, but that showed Armin's potential because he was only around in his 20s. He was only around 22, 23 when that fight took place. I would personally love to see Armin fight Islam again for the belt in the sequel, but for the championship fight this time. What do you think about that potential matchup in the future? I mean, if if they're gonna, both going to keep winning, I think it's uh, unavoidable. Um, it is going to happen, and uh, there's, there is a great narrative, to be honest with you. Um, do I think there's someone that is going to dethrone Makachev at 155? No, I don't. Because even if he does, even on the rematch with uh, with the Bronx, which is a fighter that I love, I don't see it going differently. Um, do I see Arman winning a fight against the top five? Yes, I do. So if both these things are going to happen, I guess maybe at the beginning of next year, maybe at the end of next year, we might see the fight. If that happens, I think it's it, it might be it might be an open battle. Of course, Makachev got better, uh, but as you said, uh, Armand was 22, was in short notice, and also it might be that one of the first uh, lessons that I learned about this word: uh, styles make fights. So you know. Uh, it might be that uh, that our uh, Makachev game uh, is, let's say, readable from Arman that can have answers. Something that the Bronx uh, didn't show. He showed like he didn't show those answers. So uh, I I don't like sugarcoating reality. I don't like wishful thinking, and uh, especially I'm not a, a high I don't have that super high understanding of the, you know, the small elements that will decide a winner or a loser in a bout like that. But I can say that it's going to be an intriguing matchup, an intriguing fight. And, uh, and I think Arman has all the chances to come out as a winner. That being said, you said about styles. I truly believe that Volkanovski can beat Islam in a rematch. How do you feel about Volkanovski and what do you think about that rematch? Uh, I think he's uh, undoubtedly the number two to ever do it at 145. I think Aldo still is at number one. But, but... Volkanovski has still a lot of years ahead of him, and it doesn't seem like he's slowing down. So, as of right now, I'm telling you, Aldo number, uh, Aldo number one, Volkanovski number two. In one year, 
I can I could tell you the opposite. And one of the reasons that will make me change my mind about that is Volkanovsky beating Makachev. If that, that ever happens, the debate is over. You know, of course, Volkanovsky is the GOAT at 145. Tremendous athlete. Uh, I actually know his, uh, his nutritionist, Jordan Sullivan, which is from Brisbane, uh, Australia. Um, I know his nutritionist, Jordan Sullivan, and, uh, you know, we also had dinner together. Uh, we're not, I mean, we're competitive, but we're also professional, so we can have a conversation. Uh, we can, you know, chat with each other. Um, and he told me he's, uh, Volkanovski is a pretty, pretty disciplined athlete, so uh, that, uh, the way he carries himself, the way he acts in the octagon, is stuff that I like. So I, I like Volkanovski as a fighter, um, and I think is 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 super good, um, and I think if he keeps going this way, is gonna is gonna be the number one uh, ever uh, at one forty five. I think that if Volkanovski gets one more win, maybe against Tapuria at one forty five, I believe he's actually the goat at. Um, 145 pounds. When you look at the career of Jose Aldo and Volkanovski and you compare the two, Jose Aldo still has an additional three title fight wins in the WEC, which is what merged with the UFC to make the featherweight division at the start. So he has eight in the UFC and three at WEC, making 11. And right now, Volkanovski has six. But when you, when you compare the records and who they've lost to and who they've won against, I think it's undoubtedly... Um, going to show that Volkanovski is better as a fighter, as 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 a fighter with the skills and as a resume um, comparison, due to the fact that when they fought four years ago, Aldo and Volk, Volkanovski won every single round against Aldo, and it wasn't an age problem because Aldo at the time was around thirty three, which is prime for featherweight, as well as the fact that Aldo lost to Holloway twice, which meant that. Um, Volkanovski, Volkanovski beat Holloway three times, which just goes to show that Volkanovski had an answer for something that Aldo didn't, as well as the fact that Aldo had two belts from Chad Mendes when he rematched Chad Mendes and won those two title fight wins, and Volkanovski beat Chad and Aldo outside of championship bouts. So if you add those two fights that weren't for belts against Aldo and Chad Mendes, Truly, Volkanovski would be on eight right now, which would tie, and people would look at his record a little bit differently. He's lost as many rounds as Khabib. Um, he's lost one more or two more rounds than Khabib in his featherweight career. I think it's very hard to say that Volkanovski is, doesn't have a better resume than Aldo right now just because of who he's beaten and the circumstances. I feel like this will be solidified with one more win. How do you feel about that? I mean, I think besides the age, I think Aldo was champion very early in his career and the people that he fought were somehow related to a different era of fighting. I don't know if, if you get what I'm saying, but uh, yeah, the sports evolves and uh, probably like now they might look less, those names, they might look less than what they were at the time, but at the time they were uh, quite a challenge. But, you know, again, I'm, I'm not trying to 
uh, belittle Volkanovsky in any way because he's the great, as uh, his nickname says. Um, yeah, as I was telling you, it depends uh, who's, who's his next. I mean, it, it depends if he wins and uh, it depends who he wins against. I'm telling you, if, if, if he beats Makachev for some reason, it, like the debate is not even close. Like is is ahead by by a country mile to Haldo in my books. Um, but yeah, so right now I guess we can debate maybe one, maybe two wins. But uh, thing is, it, it looks like it's not slowing down. So um, if we're having this interview in a year or eighteen months, I'm probably gonna tell you that. Is the greatest to ever do it at 145. I want to make a reference to the fact that you said fighting in different eras. Now, I totally agree with you. At the time, the title fight wins over Mark Hominick for the UFC belt that Aldo did, and and I think it was Mike Brown at the WEC. Mike Brown, I believe he was like on on the top of the world. So, so those two wins are very, very underrated, which edge Aldo only a little bit above. I think that it's very important, even though you're talking about errors, to have all the competition all at an even playing field and all have their skills at what the skills were at that time. When you talk about someone like GSP and someone like John Jones, they beat three different generations of fighters. So for them to show how good a fighter actually is, to be honest, in my opinion, it doesn't really matter about the era if the stats are there to show it. And I'm saying that even though Aldo's ahead just by a little bit, I would say that someone like an Ilya Tapuria now would be the same as fighting uh, Brown back in the WEC. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking that when, when Volkanovski, when Volkanovski does win, I would say he's, career in general including the win over Aldo will just show that he's actually more special now tapology the MMA statistician page doesn't agree with me with with what I'm saying right now they've said that um Volkanovsky is ranked ninth of all time in best fighters list and Aldo at fifth so we will see what happens in the next couple of years but I totally agree with you that um He's still got maybe one or two fights to go. Uh, I can break down a scientific topic much more professionally than how I can speak about fighters. Just I've been in the sport for a long time, but I've never been analyzing the, the business the way, say, Luke Thomas will do, which I think he does great. Um, but I think also that the word GOAT is kind of undefined word let me explain so what like we need we should agree on what are the boxes to check in order to be the goat what are the 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 kpi the kpi the key performance indicator when it comes to uh the production in order to be a goat because it's the same thing that happens and this is a field when i'm when i have uh big knowledge with university Sometimes these rankings come out and they're like the, the, the best university in the world are. It depends what parameters you're, you know, you're considering because that can change, uh, change the thing. So I guess, yeah, we should, uh, we should, uh, the whole, like 
the most prominent experts in the MMA community should uh, maybe one day meet and define what the criteria are. When the criteria are defined, then we can decide really who's the GOAT. So, for example, retired as an undefeated fighter. Is that a huge plus when it comes to a GOAT conversation? Or say someone that at one point is in from another dimension, Anderson Silva. Prime Anderson Silva, I think he's unmatched. Like maybe John Jones was kind of like him. Uh, but of course, Anderson Silva end of the career was not nearly as good. So would that taint his legacy as a GOAT uh, or not? You know, depends, depends, depends what we're considering. What I wrote down with what you were saying about quantifying the actual idea of GOAT is that I believe that the quality of the win, title fight or not, it doesn't matter. The title fights are good to have as a key indicator, but the quality of the win is much more superior to anything like that. For example, if you look at... Um, Gilbert Melendez, an old fighter, he had around eight championships at lightweight, eight at strike force, but they weren't against the the best, best, best. So you can't even have them in the in the top eight of lightweight of all time. But someone like Tony Ferguson, who had one title fight win as an interim belt, but had all these champions that he was finishing and all these good fighters that he was finishing and making look like they weren't supposed to be in there with him, that bumps him up. Someone like Benson Henderson had three at the WEC and four at the UFC, doing a collective of seven, one of my favorite fighters. Someone like Khabib, truly he has three belts. I know they say four, but Ally Quinter being ranked 11th at the time truly doesn't really count. But I would consider Khabib, with only three championships, the best lightweight to ever live, due to the fact that the quality of his wins, Gaethje, Dustin, and and McGregor, he only gave up two rounds for that whole saga of domination, which included the domination of Barboza, uh, Michael Johnson, and RDA, a former champion. So I believe that the quality of the wins and how you perform the wins and who against triumphs all with when it comes to statistics people get confused and they want to say oh go 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 they compare charles Oliveira, my one of my favorites to khabib and say that due to the fact that that they've got similar people that they've beaten and similar championship fights that charles is better than uh khabib like in the next one or two wins now the only reason i see that not being the case is that Charles, he's probably number two of all time. He needs to get need to beat Makachev and one other person, and then you can say, yeah, definitely that he's the best. But it's just the fact that I believe quality of win triumphs all, and I don't believe that losses at the end of your career doesn't matter if it's in your prime, doesn't matter if it's at the end of your career. I don't think it should taint legacy at all. Because you could have a very quick steep fall-off or you can have a long, drawn-out fall-off. For example, BJ Penn on Tapology, they had him around 18th best fighter of all time. Now, BJ Penn lost seven or eight in a row at the end of his career. But what did he do? What quality of wins did he have at the, at the prime of his career? Four, four UFC lightweight belts and 
knocking out Matt Hughes and beating Matt Hughes for the for the welterweight uh, championship, becoming a double champion. That short career triumphs some other person's long career just because of the quality of the wins. And I've got here in my notes. I'll see. I'll see what you've said. You you brought up about retiring as a champion. I don't think that matters at all. I th- I think that's I think that's a, a very overrated thing in MMA, and I don't think that it matters because someone like Aldo, I count his bantamweight reign at the end of his career very highly, and I take it very seriously that he did very well in in the hardest division in combat sports because bantamweight across boxing, kickboxing, and MMA, not in the UFC because lightweight's the best division in the UFC, but across all combat sports, bantamweight is consistently the best division. And for Aldo to do that at the tailor end of his career and make other people look inferior, I would say is is as important as retiring as a champion. So I don't really see retiring as champion that important. You also said about, yeah, the, the title fight wins in general of like someone like Anderson Silva, I consider I consider Israel Adesanya number two to Anderson Silva's number one right now, because even though Anderson Silva has more title fight wins, you need to look at how he was beating these people. If you look at the stats, um, Anderson Silva has similar stats to Israel Adesanya, wherein they've got around the same takedown defense. They fought wrestlers. They had good quality wins. Someone like someone like. Anderson Silva beating someone like Nate Marquardt at the time was an it was a very above average win, and I would even put that win above at the time someone like Israel Adesanya's Jared Cannonier win. So it's very complex to to scale and to talk about the skills at the same level because it's hard to quantify. But it's almost like it's almost like university. It's almost like in the eighties in the eighties did you get the same degree that someone got now? And what's the difference behind it? What it is, is that now it's much harder, even though you would think that you had the knowledge of it. But truly what universities do, because I'm at university right now, is what they do is they scale the difficulty knowing that you have the information from the 80s, 90s and 2000s to put it into a new level of difficulty. They don't sugarcoat or feed you the information like they did back then because people's levels were were lower. Now that people's levels are higher, they scale the difficulty uh, to such a hard extent because they believe that you already have the base knowledge and that the research, seeing that you have the internet, should you should be able to figure out much difficult tasks, right? So that being said, I think to quantify getting a degree then and to getting a degree now, I would say is the same difficulty because you didn't have access. We do have access. The difficulty was there. Our difficulty is here. And b- between that, I feel like it scales perfectly. And I see the same thing in MMA. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it's, um, it's a complex topic to analyze. I mean, what I can say about the university, because I mean, I'm old, but not old enough. I didn't do a uni. I, I wasn't at the university in the 80s. Uh, I was just, um, I guess, I don't want to be vulgar, but um, anyway. Um, tell me, I, tell me. No, this is a this is a safe place where you can say whatever. You can swear on here. You can say whatever you want. Just tell me what you're going to say. I, I was just saying that I was probably like, I mean, I was two things. I was uh, partially an egg cell and partially sperm. That's it in the 80s. That's it. 
It's like <laughs> a little puerile, honestly, but uh, hey, here I am. I have two degrees, but I can can make a joke as well. Uh, I, I lived I lived uh, about eight months in the 80s, by the way, because I was born in uh, 89, the crazy 80s. Um, anyway. What I was saying is, uh, I feel like uh, also a big variable is the the, the level of competition uh, when it comes to the university. So back in the days, not a lot of people were trying to be a physician. At least I can tell you that from you know uh, an Italian uh, standpoint. Um, much more people will go straight to the uh, to become part of the workforce uh, without a degree. Uh, so I guess there was not a such a high selection process now it's people that want to get into med school in italy they need to start studying for it to prepare for it when they're 15 basically because it's uh it's uh, much more cruel if you want so that is a big change of course back in the days the our our parents didn't have the same tools that we have they didn't even have the same yeah i guess yeah, educational level. Now there's much more focus on critical thinking, much more focus on the method you need to uh, to learn uh, when it comes to studying a book. Um, so I guess yeah, maybe I'm biased because I, I I'm part of the new generation and I'm gonna say yeah, it's harder now to get a degree compared to uh, 30 years ago. But again, I wasn't there. Um, when it comes to MMA, uh, I, I do appreciate your reasoning, um, but uh, when it comes to this type of conversation, uh, to me, is more of a how do you say a, a bar pub chat for me, in the sense that it, I happen to to talk about it with the friends, teammates, uh, but I don't think I'm that uh, out, authoritative, you know. I just enjoys chatting about it, but I don't try to be super analytical. So uh, I like your reasoning. I should, you know, I should sit and uh, write my ideas about it and come out with uh, with my theory as well uh, to properly replicate to your uh, your fair and uh, just and uh, articulate analysis that I appreciated and probably is going to inspire me uh, for to further think about this uh, this type of conversation. Thank you very much, Matteo. What are your opinions on sushi? Sushi? I, I think yeah. it's... Uh, uh, again, as, as, as it happens with other type of cuisine, I don't know the nuances, but I think it's tremendous. I love sushi. I actually, I really love sushi. Uh, as long as you find uh, good quality fish and, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's rich in nutrients is not super dense, calorically speaking. Um, and like the sushi, the Japanese cuisine in sushi brings a variety of different food, which is one of the keys to uh, overall health, having uh, ma many different sources, not just one food. There are a lot of people that are better at marketing, let's say, than at science, that they they find one food 
and they they attribute to it all the possible like benefits of the world um i mean science uh, doesn't agree with that science says that variety is key when it comes to uh health eating so i love it here in la there's a there's a huge uh, huge amount of uh, uh japanese restaurant and sushi restaurant and uh whenever i can I mean, whenever I can, when I have the occasion, I do enjoy it. It's super light, honestly. That's also something I appreciate about it. You can have a lot of sushi and you're not going to feel like full, overwhelmed by the amount of food. That doesn't happen, for example, when you go to a Brazilian place, which I love as well. So you, you eat so much meat, then you go home. And of course, that type of meat, especially when it's fat, it's... A little more uh, a little harder to digest and so you don't have a good sleep you know you wake up there you have still a little bit of uh, uh, um, stomach ache sometimes uh, sushi is, is not like that to me couple nutrition approved there are there are some uh, villages in the mountains of Japan that people are living until like 120 125 um, because of the way they diet and the what foods they're eating. Uh, have you taken a look at this and what do you think about this as a as a doctor? Yeah, I actually, right before I moved to America, I attended a conference about uh, longevity uh, from the University of Padova and the University of Harvard. And they were discussing this. I don't know how you name, there are basically five places in the world that are considered like the oasis of longevity and one of them as you said is uh, okinawa japan uh there's one of them is in italy in sardinia um and i think it's um it's it's fair to assume that there are some principle that when embraced uh at, at a you know at a statistical level they they potentially increase uh the longevity of individuals we're, we're not, not just talk talking about food don't get me wrong it's about other customs, uh, so socialization, uh, stuff that unfortunately in the Western society, we are starting to forget. Why? Because we're all about that hustle and bustle, as they say in America. I don't know if you say the same in Australia. Uh, you got to grab a bite. You don't sit at the table and enjoy a conversation. You sit at the table and you look at the television to you know, get more information. Look at your Instagram feed. That, my friend, is not the perfect way um, to, to, to enjoy your, your food, in my opinion. Uh, food is not just a sci scientific moment. It's not just a, a biologically important moment. It's also a social moment. Uh, it's a moment of growth. And that's why, you know, I, I like cooking and I'm always going to push for that. I think it's, uh, it's instrumental, really. This tremendous push that we have to produce more is kind of like, you know, killing that, unfortunately. And I've noticed that a lot when I moved from Italy to America. What is your favorite dish? I know you're going to be analytic and I know you're going to say like, well, that's a hard question and, you know, there's a million different responses, but just try and pick one. Oh, I'm telling you, it's not very good for performance, but uh, pasta alla carbonara is, 
you, for people that don't know what the carbonara is, basically it's pasta. You can pick a shape. Some people do uh, rigatoni. And then there's uh, um, essentially mainly uh, egg yolks and one whole egg. And there's a pecorino romano, which is a cheese. And, there's the, and then there's one chale, which is the cheek of the pork. And then there's uh, black pepper. And that's it. Not really, not really easy to digest, but hey, you ask me what I like and I'm telling you, and I, okay, and I'm going to tell you more. It's not just carbonara. It's a carbonara with a nice glass of Amarone della Valpolicella, my favorite uh, red wine. And here, the size, we forgot about it. It's, uh, but, you know, sometimes you also got to enjoy it. What was it like working with Cody No Love Garbrett? Okay, that's a good question. It brings me to a wider topic, if I might a little bit digress. Besides the accolades that an athlete has, you're gonna spend like you're gonna spend a lot of time with athletes you work with, and you want these athletes to be mannered, to be polite to you, to respect you. Cody Garbrandt is a gentleman when it comes to that. It makes the process easier. It's super, super coachable. It trusts the process. It values you. It values you as an important piece of the, the team. And I cannot say anything but good things about him. Um, every time I'm, I'm with him, I feel like, yeah, I feel like I'm winning when it comes to my, um, work life and even person because then you develop also personal relationship now what's dramatic in cody's situation is where he is now professionally speaking unfortunately we know that he really reached the, the top of the mountain super 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 early uh and he did it in a way that's that was incredible like talking about important wins at that time who made Dominic Cruz look like that? Can I can I interrupt you? Yes. I just want I just want to add that um Cody was a one of a kind because he was an undisputed, undefeated bantamweight championship in the hardest division. To do that, I don't believe has been replicated since, and I believe it will take not even any bantamweight champion, including Cejudo, Dillashaw, Cruz, um, and Aljamain Sterling have even achieved that. So that's something that Cody will go down as as a rarity in our sport. Yeah, that is true. That is true. And uh, yeah, it is sad to think the, uh, about the way he lost the, uh, the belt. I'm not going to speculate because it's not going to help anyone about the whole uh, TJ Dillashaw uh, performance enhancing drugs situation. Uh, I wasn't even working with him at the time, but yeah, right now, of course, he's not facing the best time of uh, of uh, of his career, but we're starting to rebuild. So this is the third camp we're doing together. Uh, we did the Cara France fight, which unfortunately didn't go our way. Um, we're trying to make further changes, and that led to a more, um, how do you say, uh, if we want not as flashy, not as loud win in his last fight, but that was necessary, 
and we're going to try to move uh, and build back uh, Cody. Of course, knowing that this guy has tremendous talent. He just got, you know, got through some downs. And it doesn't mean that we cannot, uh, we cannot rebuild. M many people have been through phases like that. Even Oliveira at one point was, was losing quite a lot in the UFC. He was never champion before, but some people go through, through dark moments. And, uh, you know, I, I want to believe and I believe that we're going to bring the heat in Boston against Bautista, which is a respectable opponent. I totally agree with uh, about Cody Garbrandt. His win over Trevin Jones, that is a decent win. That is not a win that should people should look over because Trevin has only fought the best of the best in the UFC and he's he's there in that in that level where every single bantamweight in the top 30 are just killers. His fight against Batista, um, what an interesting style matchup. Batista's four and uh four four fight win streak right now in the UFC, which is highly impressive in that division. So for Cody to go in there and derail him would look wonderful, as well as the fact that he brought up Oliveira. He got knocked out a lot of times in his career, but what it was, was truly just a mental switch. And I know people get upset when, when you say things like that because they think, no, because he improved and this and this and this. It's all about timing in MMA, and it's all about, it's all about the mental going into the fights. If you need to take a year to two years off for your mental, it is more beneficial to do that than to fight next seven months and to lose. And now you're three steps behind where you were. So Cody, Cody is an interesting case, but again, he's only been fighting either champions or people that have gone on to win in a title fight, title fight in general. So very interesting part um, of his career right now. And I hope that he can get the win um, soon against Batista. I want to ask you about specialized dietary needs and nutrition in general. When you create what they're eating and what, what the diet plan is, what are you looking at per athlete? I just don't really understand it. It's not a, it's not a thing that I'm... Um, it's not, it's not at the forefront of my mind, so I don't really understand the whole idea of switching the, you know, what you're, what you're giving them, how you prepare the food or whatever like that. So can you please run us through that? Yes, absolutely. It's a pretty complex process, I would say. Um, say an athlete talks to you for the first time, so you're going to have your first camp together. The first thing is taking a picture of of the situation, his relationship with food, his history with foods and wake up, up to that point. So understanding how higher he is compared to the weight class limit. Uh, has he ever struggled? How, how was his training leading to the past bouts? Um, how, how has been eating? How many calories? Um, did he have a diet that was uh, mainly fat and protein or a more Mediterranean diet, say, uh, to, to talk about a diet that has more carbohydrates? Once you understand that, you have this idea and you see the changes that you can make. 
So uh, what we want to do as performance nutritionists, dietitians, uh, depending on what's your qualification, but is to create a healthy relationship with food for the athlete. Protocols that are sustainable because we can talk all you want about kilocalories and macronutrients, but if we create a plan that's not sustainable for the athlete, it's going to drop out and we're, we're going to have zero results or even like even worse, we're going to have negative results. Um, <clears throat> so yes, uh, that is the first thing. And a as we do that, we need to consider the physiology that's related to the sport of MMA, which is a high intensity sport. And then we know that the higher rate, the higher R rate, the more our body relies on carbohydrate. For that reason, we need to create a plan that utilizes carbohydrate possibly before, during, and after the workout. Um, we might go lower in calories. We might go, we might, because then, of course, this is not, uh, it, it, it changes for everyone. This is just overall. Uh, you, you can periodize the the, the the assumption the the quantity of carbohydrates and protein and fats in relation to the training volume um, and yeah it's basically it's basically this the way I describe it when someone comes to me is is this um, so if, if you take one of these books I don't know if I have it uh, but there's probably like over there uh, on the shelves you get a performance nutrition books then you know the pillars and for sure, it is fantastic to have those pillars, to have that knowledge. That equals to going to a mall, even even a, a high-end mall, and you get a suit, like a Ralph Lauren and Armani suit. Great. Already, if you if you can do that, it's fantastic. If you if you if you can study one of these books and apply, uh, I guess the the gist of it it's already good but if you come to me it's like you could if you go to a tailor so we're gonna spend more time taking your measurement hearing what are your personal what what's your personal taste when you come to the outside of the suit but the inside the pockets the number of buttons and so you know it goes of course beyond the the, the Say the, the pure guidelines. We try to customize based on the on on what the athlete tells us at the beginning, uh, and then we continue with follow up. Uh, a type of meal that will that could work great at the beginning of the camp, maybe will not work as well at the end of it. So we need to make changes. So yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. I understand it's a pretty complex concept and probably I'm not the best at explaining that in English, but that's why I think the allegory of the tailor-made versus, uh, say, pre-made suit, uh, it's, 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 a in, it's a nice way to explain the, the differences and, uh, and the work that I do. So it's... Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Can you describe for us without 
giving away too many secrets, like an example of where you've done these dietary plants for a problem that somebody had and you had to work around it to fix it? Yes. So the process is quite complex. I guess I start from understanding where the athlete comes from in terms of uh, previous history with weight cuts, uh, how much you usually um, needs to cut in order to make the weight class. And, uh, and then I try to build a customized nutrition plan that takes into the account all the principles of performance nutrition, uh, but also the preferences of the athlete. Let me explain. We talk a lot about kilocalories and macronutrients, but we don't talk about enough about personal preferences. Um, a plan that is perfect under a scientific standpoint, uh, bio, how do you say, bio, biochemical standpoints, nutritional standpoint, but it's not sustainable for the athlete, it's very likely to lead to a dropout. So the athlete will not work with you or will not just follow and uh, it's not, it will not lead to the end point that will be making weight in the most um, safe way possible. So what I try to do is really having chats with the athlete, write, writing down notes about what they like, uh, about the, the, the food world. And uh, I try to translate that in numbers, considering all the, you know, the, the scientific notions that I've learned um, at the university and then during during my job now it gets a little tricky if one athlete if an athlete uh, tells you i only like cheeseburger uh, it might be quite challenging because of course there are pillars uh that cannot really change for example fruit and vegetable consumption is a pillar if an athlete tells you i don't eat vegetables we need to come to an agreement. We need to find a way we'll eat the veggies, but he needs to eat them. Um, so, yeah, but most of the times, um, it, it just comes down to athletes preferring, say, uh, pasta rather than um, tubers, so potatoes. Other people like rice, depending also on the, the cultural background. Um, and, yeah, basically, I, I, I translate... Uh, personal preferences to numbers uh, going going through what science is. Can you give us an example of a particular time where an athlete had a problem that you had to solve and then you solved it with your science background? Yes. Uh, a case that unfortunately tragically happens quite often is athlete reaching out to you because they have a hard time making weight, you do the you go through their uh, personal their history with food and previous fight camps, and you understand that they were on a twelve hundred kilocalorie diet for three months, uh, the three months leading to the competition, and they they tell you that even they were cutting the caloric amount even more say to 900 calories, which is crazy to think about it, they were not losing weight. It's an easy example, but unfortunately, it's still prevalent in the world of combat sports and weight class sports. So what do you do? You understand that the reason why that is happening is probably they have been eating 
um, so little that their body, um, I guess, their, their, their hormonal profile change, their resting metabolic rate drops. And you understand that the, the answer yeah, is actually counterintuitive. So in order for the machine to work, you need to give it fuel. So you start incrementing the caloric intake and uh, they can train more. Uh, they're happier. They're not as stressed. And all of a sudden, the weight finally starts to drop. And that's, you know, that's when you can really see the athlete being grateful to you. And it's, it's, it, it, it is a pleasure when that happens because you realize that a person maybe for five years, for 10 years uh, uh, of his, her life uh, was struggling. And all of a sudden, they can just think about being their best at what they do. And they don't have to actually fight twice against the scales and against the opponent. So um, I hope this uh answer your question i think it's a it's a pretty valid example how do you balance taste with nutrition because sometimes when you increase the taste it becomes more calorically dense so how do you fix that problem okay so that's something that happens also at the restaurants uh if you okay i'm gonna be hard this year i'm gonna be a little bit of a hater but if you don't know go for it go for it if you don't know how to cook properly, then a cure for it is just adding a ton of butter, uh, a ton of cheese, a ton of cream, and it it tastes good. But that's when, you know, that's just because you're lacking in cooking skills. Uh, if you know how to properly cook, uh, you, you don't have to uh, overuse those, uh, those, those foods that are pretty often are uh, caloric dense. So it's just about utilizing spices, utilizing extra virgin olive oil. Um, and yeah, uh, I think you can make pretty, pretty tasty meals um, without the need of super caloric dense ingredients. Um, I need to... Um, how do you say? I need to make a note right now. Uh, moving to America, I realized that uh, a lot of people here grew up getting used to pretty strong flavors. Um, yeah, strong is probably the right word because you get, a, especially when it comes to um, uh, a processed foods. Uh, yeah, they have so many ingredients that you cannot really um, understand the single notes. You just your palate just get hit by by a wave of taste, and at the end you don't know what you like. So uh, what happened with some athletes? I started to 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 suggest some uh, lighter dishes. At the beginning, they told me, you know, honestly, it didn't taste good. But as as time went by, they they developed that that skill to uh to enjoy even uh, um simpler taste i guess and, uh, and right now uh maybe you know years later they reach out even if we don't work together anymore and they they tell me how now that that meal is part of the their their life their yeah their 
you know, eating eating routine. I see Dr. Campodaglio, I got like a keto flu or something where there was months at a time and I still do this. I basically eat eggs and I eat meat, meaning beef, pork, chicken. That's like my diet. I eat meat and that's like basically it. I need to incorporate more vegetables. I do eat vegetables, but I just, I'm a massive carnivore and I love, I love eating meat. So do you know anything about keto flu and, and why, what do you think about the keto diet in general? Sorry, what? No, keto flu, I never heard of it. What? It means like the, I, I heard keto. I got, I got sick. I got sick because I was just eating meat constantly and not enough other nutrients. Oh, okay. 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 Um, uh, well, while keto has some medical application applications, uh, I don't think it's uh, a good diet for an athlete for the reason that I was uh, mentioning earlier. The higher your heart rate, the more you're going to rely on carbohydrates. So there's no such thing as being fat adapted when it comes to your source of energy. Some people say if you keep eating low carb, your body is just going to use fat instead of carbs. Yeah, I mean, you will use fat, but it will not be as performing as a, as a high carb diet, uh, at least when it comes to the sport of MMA. Uh, I also believe there's strong evidence that a high consumption of saturated fat, fats uh, leads to a higher risk of cardiovascular events, which is the leading cause of death in uh, in the Western world. Uh, and of course, there's evidence that a, a diet that is rich in fiber, many different fibers, fruit, um, vegetables, um, it, it, it leads to a lower incidence of some types of cancer, like colon cancer. So... I guess if you want to do keto, if you really want to do it, you should incorporate more fish, much more fish, and make sure that that fish is high quality. Just because you don't wanna, um, you don't wanna eat, uh, you don't wanna um, get a lot of heavy metals through fish consumption. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry, you just need to. To find a way to incorporate more more veggies throughout the day, but I think you know it will not hurt if you gradually reintroduce carbohydrates. Uh, why why do you enjoy that type of diet? I just really like meat and I really like eggs and I just feel like eating. I feel like all the preservatives and all the shit like artificial colors and artificial flavoring and and just preservatives in food made by like you know like sold at a supermarket i'm just very concerned with how it's um affecting my body i'll eat i'll eat um you know carrots asparagus i'll have i'll have vegetables i like broccoli and stuff like that but the problem when it comes to things like even pasta like i just i just feel like i want more protein in my diet and i feel like having too high carbs and too low protein I just don't feel good eating that. I feel very tired eating carbs. 
And when I don't, like right now I'm fasting, it's it's lunchtime and I'm fasting, I usually fast for maybe until two o'clock or maybe maybe three or four o'clock every day. Sometimes sometimes I don't eat until dinner around 6, 7 p.m. And um, I'll, I, I drink coffee. I drink coffee and that's basically it. I drink coffee to suppress my appetite and I intermittent fast up until dinner and I have like a big meal where I just eat fucking meat and eggs basically, right? I mean, when it comes to fasting, it's it's personal. For example, I never, I never, almost never have breakfast, just because I'm more productive, I guess. Um, but yeah, I try to have. I actually have a big lunch because uh, I enjoy a nap after lunch, and it makes me more productive <laughs> for today. Totally. The siesta. The siesta. Of course, of course. Um, but I, I wake up at 5 a.m. So, you know, when it's when it's uh, when it's noon, I'm pretty tired. So I have lunch. Then I sleep for like uh, 15, 20 minutes and I'm more productive for the afternoon. But, you know, going back to your question, I mean, each person is different and we're not here. Uh, you're not here having a consultation. So I don't know certainly all the details, but. Uh, there are many ways to get carbohydrates. Uh, there's potatoes, sweet potatoes, yam. Uh, do those things make you feel as sleepy, as tired, as lethargic? No, no, I like potatoes. Then you have uh, you have your the carbs in your diet. You should start with that. You can start with that. Uh, they're, they're, they don't bring even like per, uh, say, a kilo of produce, product. They don't even bring too many carbs to the diet uh, compared to other sources, compared to rice, compared to uh, compared to pasta. So um, you can just have carbohydrates uh, that way if that works for you. Uh, again, uh, this is just overall guidelines. Um, and and yeah, you should try to substitute some some meat with uh, with some fish. Uh, how do you feel about uh, vegetal source of protein like? uh beans or peas i um i'm I've kind of miss i've kind of misinformed you with with how i eat but but it's not always the case sometimes it's not it's not consistently that i don't have carbs i will have i will have um rice with tuna i will have potatoes with with lamb and um and i i have i have a lot of peas because peas are just really high in protein it's to, to be honest i think it's like it's probably the best vegetable when it comes to macronutrients i don't know if that's um correct in what i'm saying but i felt like peas are like god tier when it comes to like protein and carbs i mean the quality of protein uh that come from peas is not elite i will say so it's not in the pound for pound list of the best protein that of course belongs to uh, whey protein, uh, egg protein, uh, chicken protein, uh, because they actually don't offer, uh, peas don't offer the full spectrum of essential amino acids. But, you know, among legumes, uh, I think, um, think they're a good, uh, good source of, uh, both protein and carbohydrates. And, uh, it is good to, as I was saying, uh, to have a variation within the diet when it comes to the to a certain macronutrient, so uh, I I like peas as well, and uh, I think you should uh, you should keep them if it works for you. If they don't bring uh, um, 
bring any any side effects and maybe you should try other sources like chickpeas like uh, garbanzo beans uh, and see see how you feel how you feel about it again i'm never gonna get tired of this because uh people don't understand the importance of personalization uh but th this is just overall guidance and uh yeah um i hope you can you know you can do that and uh, I hope you can have carbohydrates, especially in proximity uh, of a training session. That's also uh, a big plus, I think. While in the days when you rest, you, you might need less carbohydrates. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, that's for sure something that you can implement. And um, what else? And you should also especially, I mean... Over there, it's cold now, probably, because we, we have the summer in, in our uh, hemisphere. But uh, also, our hydration is crucial, especially uh, a, a lot of people, a, a lot of time, people say that they're, they're tired because uh, they say that they didn't eat enough, but they're actually, they're actually dehydrated. So, yeah, that's one of the, for sure, uh, principle of uh, uh, healthy living keeping the those hydration level i wrote down a whole bunch of notes of what you said so thank you for that what do you think is the superior cuisine when it comes to food in any culture it might be the mediterranean that's what you were alluding to earlier but do you think there's another one that's even better the haters are gonna be on fire now uh well first of all i don't know all the world cuisine but I will say that the Mediterranean is uh, is up there. Italian cuisine, uh, Spanish cuisine, uh, which I know pretty well. It's it's pretty healthy. Um, Japanese cuisine, I think, is pretty healthy as well. Um, probably Greek, but I don't know the nuances uh, of it. So, but I feel like what I had was pretty healthy. In terms of a superior, I cannot. I'm gonna say okay. I'm gonna say that uh, uh, yeah, Mediterranean is superior, but just uh, I'm biased. I saw you training uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. How good are you at BJJ? What's your rank? When did you start? Let's put it like this: If I were to train with any of my athletes, I'll tap probably twenty times in a five-minute round. No takedown defending. <laughs> That's probably falling, jumping, okay. triangles. Kimura definitely multiple times. Uh, yeah, that's how it will go. Uh, the way I say is, uh, I called myself a Doctor Blue Belt, and uh, I started to practice actually ten years ago, in 2012. But I was absolutely uh, not consistent, and plus I moved I moved home multiple times, so every time it was restarting. Um, as of right now, I train at Cobrinha in uh los angeles and uh yeah i'm uh i'm a blue belt but definitely not a competition blue belt now if you go at uh, uh if you're at wards and you compete adult blue belt you basically find people that can i don't want to say top black belt no yeah for sure actually uh the the world champion adult blue belt can top uh regular blue belt uh, in the same way class, I feel absolutely like this. So, uh, yeah, I'm just, you know, I show up at the gym, I have a good time. Uh, I know that's 
that's not where I need to be the best. And I try to avoid injuries as much as I can. So, yeah, I have a, I would say I have a healthy relationship with jiu-jitsu. Uh, I wish I was uh, more consistent, but uh, I like it. I enjoy it. How do you describe the process for sourcing high-quality ingredients for your food? A lot of studying, a lot of trial and error. You need to know where you are in the world. You need to start, I guess, Googling, understanding what are the 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 the, the areas, the, the the grocery stores or the farmer's market with the best foods. Uh, and then it comes down to going there, uh, talk to the producer, not, not being afraid to ask questions and to establish a relationship and, uh, and then trying, of course, their products and then just keeping those that work for you. Uh, and yeah, and basically like try to create a network of people you can trust from where you, you source your um your foods in, in my case i have a rancher in northern california uh where i buy uh pork and the beef i have a fisherman in alaska where i buy uh fish of course uh and then you know i have a um, um subscription box that comes to my house uh gets sent to my house uh weekly and uh, i know that they use uh, organic uh, local farms so I guess uh, other than having uh, bringing benefits to my life they also bring benefits to the environment which is something I'm getting to value uh, more and more especially looking at how the world you know the the world the climate is changing and yeah I guess it's um, it's a journey the journey of you know, not just of food, but of relationships with people. The UFC 30 gloves behind you, who do they belong to and what uh, story do they have? Uh, Cody Garbrandt, give, give them to me after he won his last fight. Yeah, I still need to frame them, but it will happen pretty soon. How do you handle criticisms of people that don't like your cooking? And does this ever happen? I mean... In, in in Latin you say degustibus non disputandum est. We cannot really discuss each person a uh, personal taste. So if people don't like it, you know, they look my videos, my cooking videos, and they DM me. I'm like, okay, I mean, good for you. Uh hopefully you, you don't have this meal. But uh, when it comes to me, I'm still going to live my life happily. And uh, yeah, just no offense taken. What's your family's traditional dish? I will say for Christmas, cappelletti in brodo. So it is a dish that is not properly from my area, the Veneto area, but it's from Emilia Romagna. Um... It is basically, do you know tortellini? So it's it's tortellini. Uh, my my uncle makes the dough, uh, makes the stuffing, and then we make we make the broth and uh, we we enjoy them in uh, on Christmas Day. 
So that's definitely a family tradition. My my family's traditional meals, there's like three that are really good. My yaya makes a really good um, lemon chicken soup. She also makes a really good lentil soup. And she also makes a really good yemi star, which is tomato, rice, liver pieces, and cheese on the top. It's... um. It's 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 a very very traditional dish by uh, Greek people, and since going to all Greek restaurants that I've gone to, I have not tasted a better yemi star than than my grandmother's. I mean that's uh, that's part of uh, of every person uh, tradition, right? Your mom or your grandma are the best cooks in the world. <laughs> um. What was it like being a pharmacist? Um, it was boring. It was giving me anxiety. Um, I I guess I lived the first part of my life uh, not thinking about what I wanted, but what people around me uh, wanted for me. And so one day you get your doctorate, you, you pass the board exam and you start working and uh, you realize that f- filling prescription is not uh, is not what you're you're meant for. So uh, I did work for a brief period as a pharmacist, and of course, I met some interest, some good people uh, in those months. But uh, it was not fulfilling at all. And uh, I can't recall waking up in the morning and being like. I need to be there at 9 a.m. and I need to start working and looking at the clock so many times. While five weeks are brutal. Like sometimes on five weeks, you work like a like a hedge fund portfolio manager, but you have that sense of purpose. You have that, you feel like part of something bigger. And uh, I guess you don't think about the, the amount of times, uh, the, the amount of hours that you, you, you're working because you're just fully, um, how do you say? Yeah, fully involved, fully in like part of the- Encapsulated. We use a pharmaceutical word, right? Like a capsule, uh, you're encapsulated. Uh, yeah, so unfortunately, I, 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 my brother is a pharmacist, still works as a pharmacist, another doctor, Capodaglio. Um, and I'm happy for him and I'm glad I, I, I got the degree. Actually, I'll be honest with you. Uh, if I could go back, I'll get an MD, not a PharmD, if you really ask me. But, you know, overall, I'm happy with, uh, with, uh, with the ITER Studiorum, with the curriculum. And, uh, it just was not the, the job for me, I guess. What do you think about vegetarians and vegans? What message do you have for them? I mean... If they're happy, I'm happy. I do believe it is easier to have a balanced diet if you're uh, om- omnivore, um, especially if you're an athlete. It might require some extra effort, but if one is willing to to put that extra effort, I think it's 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 doable. What's the hardest challenge you've faced in your job so far uh, supporting MMA fighters with their diets? A couple of times happened that uh, athletes didn't listen to me 
uh, when I told them they should have moved up a weight class. But I knew that if we, if I were to leave them, they would have been alone and made like even a, a, a worse mess. So I stayed around them. But at the same time, you know, I will say I didn't want, I didn't really want to be there because we all know that cutting weight, it comes with certain dangers, but being stubborn and not accepting that you belong to a higher weight class and basically like sacrificing your performance throughout the camp just to make that weight because you think you're going to have an advantage, uh, it hurts me. And that's something I discuss with the athlete. I discuss with the coaches, but you know, a couple of times they didn't want to hear that. And yeah, that was hard and painful to me on a, yeah, really like just, um, just to think about it gives me some, a level of sadness. Who is your favorite fighter? Favorite fighter? I don't know. It's a John, this is a hard question. Um, I'm going to say someone that retired, uh, GSP just because he embodied that discipline, that easy to coach person, I believe. And uh, I wish I could work with, uh, with him at the time. He's, uh, he's, he's into biohacking and his diet is very good. So I think you two would have made a perfect partnership. Yeah. I don't necessarily agree with all the principles of uh, biohackers, but, uh, again, I think is is easy to coach. So if we were if we were to work together, it will like follow what I what I told him. That's all we have time for, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much, Matteo, for coming on the show. Is there anything you want to plug before we wrap up the podcast? No, just guys, uh, enjoy some good food. Make sure your diet is balanced, and especially leave a meal as a social moment. It's not just science. It's also laugh, jokes. Moving your hands the way I'm doing it, so cliche, and having a good time. Follow Matteo on Instagram, link in the description, and subscribe to Anything Combat on YouTube. Thanks, guys. Bye.